Well, good morning and welcome one more time to Encounter. I just wanted to highlight what we just heard there on August 22. That's the soft opening of the Fulton Heights location. We're inviting everybody who's going to make that their church home to show up. And as we heard on our worship night on Friday, uh, maybe uh, maybe bring a pair of work gloves along metaphorically because we're going we're gonna to be asked to put to work and to start serving over there. It's, uh, it's getting ready for the fall launch. That's something... September 12, very, very exciting. And don't forget, the best way uh, to tell the next generation about Jesus is to serve on our next-gen team. Uh, listen, we're in part four of four of our series, Good Question. And the premise of the series, as we just saw, is that oftentimes growth, change, transformation, these things come on the heels of asking or being asked a good question. And we heard Jesus ask all of these good questions. I mean, you can just think about your life and your past as to the last time, you know, you grew or you changed or somehow you experienced transformation, a change in circumstances maybe, uh, and how that came off from the heels of being asked a good question. Maybe the question was, what do you want for dinner? And what do you want for dinner turned into a date and turned into, will you marry me? These are good questions that change lives. Uh, good questions like, is it time to move or is it time to stay put and put down roots, right? Go across country, take the job. Maybe somebody very close to you more recently sat you down and, and very sober-mindedly asked, listen, do you think that it's time to quit? Change, growth, transformation comes on the heels of being asked or asking a good question. And as we heard Jesus ask so many good questions in the gospel, over a hundred of them, we just took a look at four of them. And the question this morning, Jesus is going to stare into one of the biggest, one of the biggest hurdles and barriers for faith that I'm asked about more than, more than anything else, I think. Where we're going to see Jesus dial right into spiritual doubt. Where he looks at his disciples and he looks at all of us and he says, why do doubts yet arise? Why do you why do you doubt? Now listen, some of you, like I recognize, like doubt isn't a thing for you because you're like, listen, the Bible says it, that settles it. I'm in. That's enough for me. And good, I'm good for you, right? That's, if that's enough for you so far, I want to give you a word of warning or, or caution though. That might not be enough in the future yet. So I want to say, even if, even if you're in and you did not yet come here with doubts, I think we still need this. Because there's going to be a time, a moment that might stretch into a season where doubts might start arising in your mind. And so we need this. We need this because even if, even if you're not currently doubting, you might have somebody close to you, a family member, a child, come to you and say, listen, I'm just not sure about all of <laughs> this. Why do you doubt? Why do doubts arise? We, we need this. Some of you have friends and neighbors who, who see you get in your car on Sunday mornings and drive to church, and you've been flagged as like one of those Christians. And somebody's going to come up to you at some point when you're cutting the lawn and say, listen, I, I know that you, like, you go to church, so I, I've, I've got questions. I grew up in the church. I'm just not sure about it. I guess the doubts are creeping in. We need this. We need this. I need this. Like, believe it or not, I, I'm, kind, I'm kind of a skeptical person uh, naturally which is a bit surprising maybe for some of you because you're like really dude because you stand on a platform with a microphone and tell people about how a man died and came back to life again every weekend you're like skeptical really I 
I am. Embarrassing story about that. So just if we could keep it between us and the internet. Uh, I have watched more than my share of, uh, of YouTube videos about about events that have definitely happened, but I just wanted to like be sure on it, right? Because of my, my skeptical nature. So I'm talking about like the, the moon landing in 1969. Because like my skepticism is like, oh, I wasn't around in 1969, but like really like we landed on the moon with little more than like computing power than in a, in a basic calculator. So like, yeah, admittedly, I watched a few YouTube videos. I know many of you were unsure about that until I could like certify this for you. So you're welcome. I checked it out. I did, I did my research, which involved a Google search. I know, so solid research. And I can confirm to you that in 1969, uh, we did land on the, on the moon. Uh, and it, it, amazing. Uh, I know that while the jury is still on and a few other things, I can confirm them for you as well. I can confirm for you that Bigfoot, probably as much as I could gather, does not actually exist. Unfortunate, I know. I can confirm uh, to you that the earth is in fact round and spherical in shape. I confirm to you that those of you who got the vaccine, you are carrying a chip tracking you, but it's not, it's not in your arm, right? It's in your pocket, and it's right in the Google's terms and conditions. Like, they, they own that, right? We're, we're being followed all the time, and it's just that. I'm a skeptical person in nature, so I just, I have to, I find myself, I have to, like, check things, check things out. And it stretches a long ways back. In fact, I can remember maybe, um, maybe seventh, eighth grade. Uh, I, was, I grew up in the church, a believing family. And, and for one reason or another, I'm just, I don't know what they could have done, what I could do differently, but it just didn't seem like I could voice my concerns or voice my questions in the community. And so I did the only thing that I knew how to do is I, I went to God with them. And said, God, like, listen... <laughs> I, I want to believe. I want to be in, but like the doubt is creeping in. The doubts are arising in my, in my heart. So listen, God, here's what I'd like you to do, okay? Um, I've got a test for you, and I just want to know that you're out there. I just, I just want to know that you're real, and if you could just show, if you do this one thing for me, and then I'm in for the rest of my life. And so I had a pencil, and my, my test for God was, listen, all I'm going to do is I'm going to take my pencil, and I'm just going to set it on the table like this, and I just want you to roll it off. That's all I'm asking. And it wasn't even like one of these like hexagonal pencils. It was the round kind, so it should be super easy. So I'm like, God, I'm meeting you more than halfway here. Uh, pencils on the desk, whether it's a breeze, somebody walking by, it'll roll it off. So I'm just going to wait here, roll my, right, roll my pencil off somehow. Doubt comes in all shapes and sizes, doesn't it? Maybe you're one of those junior high kids. And you're just wondering if it all isn't just made up. Maybe you haven't had the, the faith to disbelieve that like all of this came from somewhere, but like the idea that the, the thing out there where all of this came from isn't a thing, but it's a who. I mean, that's a little bit too much to wrap our minds around. Because it feels like whenever I get down and try to talk to the who behind it all, it's like I pick up the phone and there's nobody on the other end of the line. Doubt comes in all shapes and sizes. 
that comes in all shapes and sizes that the who behind it all could actually care about, about me. Especially after my wandering, after my, after my doubt, after my mistakes, after my sin, after my pattern, after all of the people that I've hurt, that somehow God would care enough about me. Doubt comes in all shapes and sizes. And, and doubt, doubt comes in shapes and sizes of those of us in the room. Because there are more than enough people who would sign up and say, listen, I don't have a problem believing that there's a God of the universe. I don't have a problem believing that that God loves and cares about people. My only problem is that I have met a few of the people that have professed to follow that God. And they're horrible and they're hypocritical. And I'll say, yes, present company included. And so some of the doubts that arise are because of the people who profess to follow him. Doubt comes in all shapes and sizes. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you, what isn't one of them is the end of faith. Doubts may arise in our hearts, but it does not have to mean the end of faith. In fact, it could mean something entirely different. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to share a story about doubt and about how God shows up in the midst of doubt. But as I get there, I want to tell us that that the disciples were gathered together and they were afraid. After, after the death of Jesus, after they put him into the ground, they were afraid, they were terrified. They were locked up in an apartment in Jerusalem because they had just pinned their lives and their hope and their faith to a man. And then they watched him get nailed to a cross and buried in the ground. And in the ground, buried with Jesus, was their lives, was their hope, was their faith. And then they start hearing murmurs. They're hearing gossip. They start to hear some whispers that maybe he didn't stay dead. And so they're talking about this in Luke 24, verse 36, while they were still talking about this. Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. And all the Reformed people said, and also with you. Just kidding. They didn't do that. But the word is important there, though, right? Where Jesus comes amidst them and says, peace be with you. The first word that he speaks post-resurrection to his disciples is peace. I submit to you the first word is peace. Amidst the backdrop of their fear, the first word is, is peace. Because when you see a man standing in front of you that you watched die earlier, man, the air just smells different. Like, like food tastes different. Life just hits differently when you know that death doesn't have to be a part of it. Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. They didn't even believe in ghosts. That's how unbelievable this event was to them. Verse 38. And he said to them, he said, why are you troubled? A question this morning. Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands, he says. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. The, the tone, I think, the tone of Jesus in talking to the disciples, I don't think, I don't think it's anger. I think when he's met with their doubt, I think the tone in his voice is a, is a hint of disappointment. 
they're terrified and lock themselves away. And I think Jesus coming into the room that day, there's this hint of him saying, did you, did you forget? Did you forget everything that I have done? Did you, did you forget that I gave sight to a man who was blind? Did you forget our story last week? That I gave mobility to a man who has been immobilized for 38 years. You were there. Did you forget, church, how I have moved mountains in the past? Did you forget? How I've moved mountains in your life and showed up as you forget that I actually called my own death and resurrection from the dead. <laughs> they, they don't answer, and I love this part of the story, that they don't give a response to that necessarily, but they do, they do offer him breakfast because dying and rising develops a hunger as it turns out. And so they gave him a piece of fish to eat. In Luke 24, it goes on to say that the disciples just, and I imagine they stare kind of like, like just slack-jawed. They stared at Jesus while he enjoys this fish stick. And it's this picture of the disciples, church, that I just, I love because if I'm writing the gospel, and this is maybe a hint into my own life, if I were to write the gospels, I would write myself in a little more heroically than they do, right? Like post-resurrection, they see Jesus. I would write in like singing and dancing and I'm hugging him and they're like, no, no, no. We just watched him eat a fish stick because that's all we could do. And it's like, well, why did that need to happen? Well, I wrote it in because it did happen, okay? That's the only reason why we include that detail. Okay, um, we continue the story. That was Luke's telling. We jump over to John chapter 20, and we've, we continue the story because they were all there ex except one. Verse 24, Thomas, also known as Didymus, was one of the 12, and he was not with the disciples when Jesus came. He was not with the disciples. I just I want to hang out there. I want to pause there and just to point out that a lot happens when we're not around. That even though we're not around, we might we might miss some things. And I like I want to pause and and recognize Thomas. I'm not sure why he wasn't there. Like I don't know if he didn't set his alarm for the church gathering that morning, if he slept through it. I don't know if he had a late night out the previous but for whatever reason, he didn't make it in that day. And because he didn't make it in that day, he missed the power of God, the people of God. He missed the presence of God in a special way. And I'm sure he was planning on catching the podcast of it later, but it's just not the same. We miss a lot when we're not around. Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, I'm going I'm to preach here a little bit this morning, but I'm going to ask for a little bit of help on your part. Uh, Thomas has a certain reputation, doesn't he? 
We don't call Thomas Didymus necessarily, but it does start with a D. There's a hint. What do we call Thomas? We call him Doubting Thomas, don't we? He's been branded as Doubting Thomas. I want to do everything in my power this morning to replace that branding that we've had, many of us, for a long, long time. Whether you grew up in church or not, you kind of know about Doubting Thomas. We use that, oh, Doubting Thomas, you know, don't believe and don't believe the earth is flat, Doubting Thomas, whatever it is. I want to do whatever we can today to rebrand Thomas, not as doubting Thomas. I want us to cast Thomas as the guy who wouldn't settle for a second-hand kind of faith. I want us to see Thomas as the kind of guy who says, you know what? I'm not going to live under the umbrella of my parents' faith. That's not good enough for me. I want us to see Thomas, not as doubting Thomas, but the kind of guy that says, I don't want to just ride the coattails of the faith of my wife or of my husband, of my boyfriend or the girlfriend. That's not good enough for me. Doubting Thomas, no, no, no. Admirable Thomas. Thomas is the guy whose doubt pushes him for answers. Pushes him for reasons. Pushes him to find out why and to find out who. I would aspire to have the faith of doubting Thomas that says it's not good enough for me just to see the presence of God in her life. I want to experience the presence of God and the power of God in my own life. Doubting Thomas pushes for answers, recognizing That this event and the answer to whether or not it had happened will necessarily change his life. Because if he finds out that a man did in fact die and come back to life, that if his friends, the disciples, were right, that God left the safety and the security of heaven to come down and to be born as a human being, To a Virgin Mary who grew up sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, mobility to the immobilized for 38 years. And then he called his shot that he would die and come back. Listen, the only reasonable response to a Savior that dies for me is for me to live for him. Doubting Thomas. Calculating Thomas. He understands what's on the line. His whole life hangs in the balance. Unless I see the nail marks. No, unless I touch the nail marks. Unless I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Doubt comes in many shapes and sizes. And right now, Thomas's doubt, doubt pushes him for answers. Verse 26 of John 20. A week later, Jesus' disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. He wasn't going to miss twice in a row. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you and also with you. Then he said to Thomas, 
put your finger here. See my hands. Reach your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. I want to make three comments on these two verses. Number one, the doors were locked. And a lot of us get hung up on that. How is it possible that the doors were locked and Jesus came in there, right? On one hand, there's like this picture that Jesus busts through the locked doors like the Kool-Aid man going, oh, yeah. Some of you, come on, you get that reference? So, thank you. All right. I, th I thought a lot hard about that one. If that happened, I'm pretty sure John would have like highlighted, okay, and then we had to fix the door together. And Thanks a lot, Jesus. No, I don't, I don't think that's how it went. But there's other people, so there's like commentators who, who write into this and say, listen, um, it's important to recognize Jesus going through the locked door because he's telling us something about our post-resurrected kind of heavenly bodies. Because we believe that Jesus was the, was the first to rise among the rest of us. And so the, the sense is, well, that's like what heaven is going to be like in our post-resurrection bodies. Like we'll have the ability to walk through locked doors. I don't think that's what John was thinking about. Like that's not the first thing on his mind, documenting post-resurrection bodies for eternity. That's not his, that's not his deal. So I'd, I'd, I'd throw that one, I'd throw that one kind of, uh, kind of away. But I, I do want to highlight, though, because may, maybe it doesn't say so much about Jesus. Maybe John writes it in there to say something about himself, to say something about his people, the disciples, about us. I think there's a whole line in there, there's a whole message in there about how even after we saw him, Everybody but Thomas sees the nail marks, sees his side. And still they're huddled in that apartment in Jerusalem, anxious and afraid. I find that hopeful. I, I, see, a lot of, I see a lot of that in me. That even though I've, I've seen God move so tangibly, you know, there's, there's other times a week later where I'm just afraid locking myself in a door somewhere. But I think John is writing this even more than to highlight his own fear in the face of Jesus' presence. I think he's, he's writing this as a way to say the point here, church, is that a stone in a tomb could not hold the dead body of Jesus. Locked door in doubt won't hold Jesus out of our own hearts. Jesus rose from the dead to demonstrate his power conquering death. And now he goes through a locked door to demonstrate his power over doubt. And he, sh he shows up. He shows up in that doubt. The first thing is, just, is, is locked doors. That Jesus shows up. He shows up in doubt. Uh, second thing on it is, listen, Thomas was there. Thomas was there. He, he went to the gathering the next week. We get no indication that anything happened throughout that week. And Thomas like somehow changed his mind and he was full on believing. He was on board and expected God to move when he showed up for church that morning. No, no, for all we know, he went carrying his doubt and disbelief along with him and he shows up. I love that. I love that for us. And I love that that's the kind of community that God is creating us to be. That people can come through these doors and we're not sure we don't have anything, everything figured out all the time. 
But we can be a kind of community that, that doesn't shrug the doubts off in order to come into the presence of God, but we can pick them up, carrying them into the presence of God, and bring them inside. God, I don't know what to do with this, but I do know that your church is not a country club for saints, but a hospital for sinners, and this is the thing I'm carrying around. It's called my doubt, God. Do something with that, would you? Thomas is the guy that doesn't back off. He shows up with his faith. I can't tell you. Like how many times I've heard the comment, I've been away for a while, Pastor. I just, I just haven't been feeling it. You know, I guess I'm just not really quite sure what to do with my faith or what little is left of it. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray on that, and I'm going to open up the Bible. I'm going to talk to some people. And, you know, when I, when I sort a few things out, then I'll come in. Guys, that's just not how, that's not how God works. That's not how the church works. That's not how communities work. I just don't feel like I'm part of this family anymore. So until I do, I guess I'm not coming home for dinner, Dad. No. Whether you feel it or not, you're part of the community. You're part of the family. And we want you to show up. Doubts and disbelief in all. Thomas shows up. And I hope you do too. First thing is on locked doors. Second thing is on Thomas showing up with his doubt. The third thing, and just quickly, just notice the words, notice some of the language that Thomas calls out. And he goes, I want to I see the, the nail marks. No, no, I want to touch the nail marks. That's what I want. And then I want to put my hand into his side. And Jesus shows up and goes, oh, you want to see the nail marks? Oh, no, you want to touch the nail marks? Oh, no, you want to put your hand into my side? You can see the language that Jesus uses in response to the doubts that Thomas has is exactly the same. It exactly lines up. Jesus gives him exactly what he needs to believe. And I just have to believe that he's still doing that today. He's giving each one of us exactly what we need. It might not always be the thing that we want, but Jesus is still giving us exactly what we need to believe. And for Thomas and for us, it's life-changing. The response is documented in verse 28. Thomas said to him, he goes, My Lord and my God. Verse 29, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. The response that Thomas gives, my Lord, my God. Boy, it's personal, isn't it? Like it just hits him. Like all of those promises the promise of grace, the promise of love, the promise of com community, the promise of life everlasting, the promise of a full life that doesn't start then but starts right now, the promise of a hope, the promise in a future. It's like for Thomas, all of a sudden, all of those promises weren't just true. They were true for me. 
my Lord, my God, it's true for me too. He doesn't just believe in. He believes. He believes that it's true for him personally. Thomas shows us that doubt comes in all shapes and sizes. But the end of faith doesn't have to be one of them. Doubt doesn't have to be the end of faith. It's often just the beginning. I was in seventh grade asking God to move a pencil off the table. Some of you guys are not going to be surprised to learn that the pencil didn't roll off the table by itself. In fact, as disappointing as it was to a seventh grader, the pencil didn't move at all. Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. I think that God refuses to move the pencil because he knew that my faith would be limited to just a pencil just that day. As disappointing as it was, I didn't believe, I didn't have a, a moment that day that month, that couple of years that followed after that, I just, I just went on wondering. <laughs> he left me doubting, pushing, searching, wondering about answers to the questions that I was asking. And Jesus, as he does, he gives us exactly what we need. Not always what we want, but he gives us exactly what we need. And, and wouldn't you know that for me in particular, what God decided to gift me wasn't a moving pencil, it was a sermon. Sometimes they work. <laughs> I'm hanging out. I'm on this youth deal. Early on in, in high school, it was years later, and I'm just listening. And guys, it was like, if you've ever seen YouTube videos of the inside of a lock, I'm curious about those too. Um, it, like the pins just sort of all line up as the key goes in, and like everything falls into place. I'm sitting there just one day that could have been any day, and all the pins line up, and it's like faith just falls in. And guys, there's been moments of doubts after that. There's been seasons of doubts that stretches, stretches on from there. But it's like looking back. I can hear Jesus at times when I wonder, at times when I wander, going, did you forget? Did you, for, did you forget about how I've moved? And I want to say, no, 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 no. I have not forgotten that you always give me exactly what I need to believe. You did it then. And so I choose to believe that you're still doing it today. I showed up in that moment. And one of my leaders of the group showed up and just asked me, click. And it all fell into place. Guys, if that, 
builds your faith. I hope it does. But what happens next in the Thomas story, I think also, is building of our faith. Because Thomas looked into those answers. Thomas had to find out for himself. Because the only reasonable response to a Savior that died for him is for him to live for that Savior. And so after looking into it, after searching, after finding out, Thomas decides, yeah, I'm, I'm in. I am so in because an act like that demands a life-changing response. Thomas is the guy. Doubting Thomas, searching for answers, is the guy who is moved physically. He's moved to go farther than any other the disciples for his faith. Thomas is the guy who moves to the far side of India because he heard that there was a Jewish community over there who didn't have the whole gospel, who didn't hear about Jesus yet. So he goes there just to share the hope that he has with them. And when it starts to go sideways, when it starts to, to not go so well over there, and, and he is forced to make a decision in that community, when he is forced to either renounce his faith or give up his life, Thomas had already looked into his doubt. And he knew just exactly what he had to do. In the year A.D. 72, he gave up his life. Guys, your doubt this week is going to come in all shapes and sizes. The end of faith doesn't have to be one of them. It might just be the beginning of a stronger, steadier, more hopeful faith than you have ever experienced in your life. It could just be the beginning. Maybe just stand up and let's pray. Let's pray to God together. Let's pray for his presence together. Let's pray for his peace. God, we come to you and, and Lord, we're, uh, we're a skeptical people. We've been burned in the past. We've been misled in the past. God, I want to acknowledge some of us have just hearts that are, that are hard. And it's because of the journey that we've, we've been on. We have a hard time opening it. We have a hard time trusting anymore. And so we carry those doubts like wounds along with us. And so, Spirit, I ask simply that, like that locked door, you come on in and, and, and soften us up. Give us a reason to hope again. Give us a reason to trust again. Give us a reason to live once again. And God, if that moment doesn't come this week, may we simply live in the gap, live in this in-between season, knowing simply, Jesus, that you haven't left us or forsaken us, but that you are walking this journey of skepticism and doubt right alongside next to us. You're here in the trial. You're here in the fight. You're here in the doubt. Jesus, we pray in your presence.
your name. Amen. Hey church, it's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.